0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 82 of the MTV podcast, presented and hosted by Worldwide Cyclery. This is Jeff and I'm Liam. And this episode's topics, we are going to cover interesting things from Shimano, including their new Linklide drivetrains and their recent patent related to wireless electronic slit shifting slash
1: dropper post slash suspension. We're going to look into forestal bikes and what they recently launched, as well as the general common state of e-bikes in North America from our perspective.
0: And the, give you guys the one-on-one on some of our recent YouTube videos, which include rear shock upgrades, the new fork from rock shock and new product from Fox. Oh, and bird
1: spokes, bird spokes, as well as finish off with some listener questions that you guys submitted to us.
0: Yep, so uh, let's dive into it. But first, a sound effect from our very own DJ Pineapple. Shimano. New things from Shimano.
1: Starting off with their Linkglide drivetrains. Yes. What do you think? Uh, There's a new 1x10 Dior drivetrain and a new 1x11 XT drivetrain. Uh, with some bold claims to be 300% more durable than previous versions.
2: Yeah, I
0: don't... I'm confused because I never really thought that there was a durability problem to begin with. But some people have that issue, and then there's also e-bikes, which they didn't say at all. It doesn't seem like that these are, quote-unquote, made for e-bikes. But it kind of seems like it would make sense for an e-bike since that's where drivetrain durability is more of an issue.
1: Yeah, it's definitely leaning towards that especially because uh seems like weight is not really in the equation here yeah this stuff's heavy it's yeah yeah,
0: it's either a 10 speed dior or an 11 speed xt and derailleur cassette shifter and it is not light it's heavy
1: yeah so um it seems like it's it's uh great oh it does say you know some e-bike stuff down there Uh, um but yeah it it seems like you know it could work really well for e-bikes especially because you know e-bikers tend to just hop on and go, um, especially some of the newer ones to the, the mountain bike scene. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's
0: – people might get offended at that comment. Are you saying all e-bikers are novices?
1: No, I'm saying the newer <laughs> ones just hop on and go <laughs> and they, right. they just, just rip their bike. You know? I completely agree. I'm just playing
0: devil's advocate. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, you know, depending on where you're at in terms of your – Skill set in the mountain bike scene, knowing how to shift properly and not shift under load—that's definitely that uh, your your mentality changes on that a lot. The more you ride bikes and the longer you've been around, and the more chains you've yeah. accidentally broken because you've shifted incorrectly.
1: Yeah, that and just your maintenance on bikes in general yeah. tends to improve as you ride longer and longer. Yep, um, you know it's it's a learning curve. So, um, yeah, these—I mean, if they're going to be stronger and last longer. I'm I'm sure there's a market for that. Um, especially with everything kind of getting so light and so, you know, I don't want to say fragile, but it's, it's kind of brought to the limit. Like one by 12 is, is very close to the limit of what a chained drivetrain can be at. So, yeah, I think there was
0: that famous quote, I believe from Keith Bontrager that was, uh, cheap, light, strong pick two. (laughs) which is actually really, yeah. really smart. And when it comes to mountain bike components, it's very, very true. And yeah, it's, it's cool to just see more options. I mean, this this to me seems like it's geared towards e-bikes, although it's not like explicitly called an e-bike something. Like, sure, I mean, you could use it on a on a normal bike, but it's cool. I mean, if, if, you, if you're a rider, whether you're on an e-bike or not, if you are having issues with, you know, breaking chains or knocking teeth off your cassette for various reasons... Uh, this could be a good product for you. Um, yeah, I did see actually a comment the other day about that. Like, hey, I break teeth off of my cassette all the time. And I was like, oh, that's odd. But I don't know. I guess it happens. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a Clydesdale, so yeah. I wouldn't
1: know. I mean, uh, I've seen it happen, um, but it's more more just a rare scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, new drive chain from Shimano. Yeah. More durable. Uh,
0: when it will be available, nobody knows. Uh, so don't hold your breath. <laughs> uh that's that's just the bike industry in 2021 it's uh yeah things are things are lost in translation when it comes to supply chains and all of that so yeah. we'll see it'll come out at some point the next cool thing from shimano is there. uh Recently granted patent related to wireless electronic shifting, dropper post, suspension. This is really hard to digest. Uh, You can, like, the the original patent documents can be found out there. A number of mountain bike media outlets reported on this with some of the images found in that. And it's kind of complicated. To me, it seemed like it was more related to potentially your dropper, like this was my, some of my assumptions and takeaways from this confusing patent thing, like your dropper post height being related to how your suspension is behaving. For example, if your dropper post is up, your suspension is firm. And if it's down, your suspension is open. If that, if that's how it works and that does work, like that's a cool idea. I never thought of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It definitely is hard to like know if that's what they're going after. Cause it's a very vague patent and, Hard to kind of dissect that. Um, But yeah, that's kind of what it seems to do, and it has to involve the dropper post suspension and an electronic drivetrain, and it's all wireless. So all of that is new from Shimano. So either way, whether it does work like that or they're just getting wireless components, lockouts, dropper post, and drivetrain, it's all new.
0: Yeah. Yeah, true. And I mean, I think you know these things are so hard to look at because there's so much going on at these big brands like Shimano and Fox and SRAM. There's like all this product development constantly happening. They're constantly filing patents for new things they might make, might not make, or maybe just want to protect from not having their competitor make. So it's it's just a big ball of wax behind the scenes. I think a bicycle retailer once reported that uh, there was something like, you know, several million dollars that each Fox and SRAM spent on patent lawsuits just fighting each other over patent, ch- like every year. Yeah. like it just seems crazy like why, why can't they just get along I mean I, I have no idea but I guess they're competitors they're making components so it, it is hard to take any true takeaways from this and what's going to happen but you know SRAM has an amazing well multiple amazing wireless electronic drivetrains right now and a wireless electronic dropper post and Shimano doesn't quite have an answer when it comes to this electronic stuff especially not wireless that's competitive um, in my opinion, so who knows? I mean, I would bet they're probably itching at the at the door to be like, let's make something good and compete there.
1: Yeah, definitely. They've been behind the game for a while. They're the first to the electric drive chain market in mountain bikes and road, but it's always been cabled with wires, yeah. so it's not been wireless. Um, they don't have a wireless version of anything yet. So Shimano, you know, if they can get there, you know, they can you know catch up to SRAM, but. Either way, we will see. <laughs> I, I would like to see an electronic suspension lockout.
0: Yeah, I think well, kind of really like cool. Fox Live valve, right? S-
1: but but completely manual.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Completely under my own want to lock it out. I really I think to. that this
0: possible idea of it being related to your dropper post is pretty smart. Because like when think about it, I when I first thought of that, I was like, when do you ever have your dropper post up that you would want your suspension fully open?
1: I wouldn't say fully open there, but tech climbs you don't want it locked out fully.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in my head, like the perfect setup would be if your dropper post is up, you're in like sort of a climb mode, you know, so where you're just in a firm mode exactly, and your dropper post is down and it's open. Yeah, that'd be pretty nice. Yeah,
1: it's kind of similar ish to the way uh, Scott's uh, Twin Lock. Suspension works. Yeah, where that's true. You're locked out in the middle, and you're basically limited to like about half travel or so. Mm-hmm. Um, my last XC race bike had that, and that middle mode is actually really nice for just pedaling over really rough braking bumps or tech climbing. Yep, hit a full lockout for you know road climbs, and then full open for descents. So yeah, something like that on the electronic wireless would be really cool.
0: Yeah, it could be. I mean, we we will see. Time will tell. We're definitely splitting hairs and making negligible performance gains in mountain bikes that already work really really well uh so yeah we we will see what what all of these brands that are kind of responsible for product innovation come up with over the next decade to make bikes any better when they already work so darn well but there we go
1: and now a word from our sponsors
2: are you tired of carrying toilet paper on your trail for number two blowouts Does your morning coffee leave you pinching your cheeks until you make it to the gas station? Well, friends, discomfort no more. My name's Billy, and I'm the founder and CPO of Billy's Bicycle Bidet. I've brought to market two bicycle bidets to soothe your whole, Squirt 1.0 and Squirt Mini. Squirt 1.0 is a fully electronic, three-cylinder, eight-horsepower Dingleberry blasting machine. Squirt Mini takes all the engineering of Squirt 1.0 but easy and conveniently screws on to your water bottle for trail side relief. Pick up your Squirt 1.0 for $49.99 and your Squirt Mini for $29.99. Or for a limited time only, get both the 1.0 and the Mini for 14 easy payments of nine nine nine. dollars You do the math. Visit SquirtDingleberryBlaster.com. Bye. My name is Billy. And now back to the show forestal bikes what
1: about them liam they're new they just officially launched with three models and all three models are e-bikes yeah so it's
0: an e-bike brand exclusively as of now correct yep yeah high-end stuff the brand is from andorra which is a landlocked country in between spain and france that has tons of mountains a mountain bike world cup stop it's also the home of common bikes uh, as far as I know, and yeah, Forestall man, these this is some pretty fancy stuff. Uh, slight caveat to this story: we've been talking to Forestall to potentially be dealers for them, so we might be slightly biased to saying that they're nice, but they do look nice. But also, we've never ridden them, so yeah, they, <laughs> jury's still out quite a little bit there.
1: Yeah, they do look nice. Um, they kind of slot all their models slot a bit between like the Specialized Levo SL. And the full-powered e-bikes that kind of most everyone else has. Yeah, which means they they don't have like a huge motor, but they don't have a tiny motor, right? Yeah. So from what it, I was looking at, their claimed wattage is very similar to a Levo SL, but their torque is almost doubled. Hmm. Meaning that on a steep climb, you'll be more torque and have more uh, initial like power, like a full-powered. But you won't quite be like ripping along, you know, thirty miles an hour or whatever. So, yeah. from that's what I understand from it. All right, and they they're going to be doing their own
0: motor and their own battery, all proprietary stuff they
1: design. Themselves. Correct. Yeah, it's their own design. So, um, we don't exactly know yet on that, but uh, it's their own design, and it's also how they could get their bikes added lightweight for this power to torque ratio. Mm-hmm. um and everything with that so yeah it's it's cool to see you know uh, i was kind of not uh quick to jump on the e-bike train mostly because i thought the first couple generations of e-bikes were really crude yeah. um and just not yeah they not were. quite developed to what they could have been i don't think anyone up until the last couple of years even the last like year cycle really looked at an e-bike and went we should put a motor on this bike and make it look good and make it ride good and have it be, like, a really good package yeah. as a whole. They yeah. kind of, like, slapped a motor on it, and we're like, yeah, this thing helps you get to the top of the hill. Yeah. So. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean.
0: Like, they, they definitely didn't look appealing or just pretty by any means. They, Yeah, they looked kind of more homemade and clunky and. I don't know. Yeah, they just weren't evolved. And yeah. like, even in the last couple of years, I mean, it's happening really fast. More and more brands that make e-bikes are just making them look better, work better, fine-tuning everything about them. And yeah, the, the whole segment of e-bikes is is definitely evolving quickly and becoming way more popular.
1: Yeah. Just, I'm seeing them so much more often out on the trails now. It's wild. Definitely. So yeah, Forestal Bikes, they have uh, three models. Um, try not to totally butcher these names they have the scion c-y-o-n which is a 150 150 mil bike so it's kind of the trail bike Um, they have the sirion i believe it's called which is their kind of what they first initially launched with they had the first edition um but now they've launched their full range of models with build kits and colors and everything of that bike which is 170 170 mil travel and then they also have the hydra which I believe is a modified uh, Sirion that is 180 front with a dual crown and 170 rear, and they have uh, two build kits of that as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, interesting stuff. I mean, those, those are all pretty long travel, but I guess if you have a motor, why not just have some extra travel? I mean, there's so many schools of thought on this one. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, I'm sure they're coming out, you know, it sounds like they're going to be a full e-bike brand, so I'm sure they're going to come out with some even smaller travel bikes um i think in europe the market is way more developed than it is in the yeah, u.s so absolutely. they probably have a better pulse on that but yeah for the u.s it's it kind of makes a lot of sense especially like anything on the west coast that i'm aware of is like long climbs long descents yep what's the point of you know short travel when you're gonna be going downhill for a while you want help getting <laughs> up that big climb and you want to go down just as good as you could on any other bike
0: yep yeah that definitely makes sense yeah i mean in speaking of what their bikes are sort of made for and capable of um the the famed longtime downhill racer cedric gracia he's how long has he been on Forestall now? He's been like working with them on their development, and he was a longtime Santa Cruz rider. And then he went to Forestall before they were even like released. It was like this hidden secret of bike he was riding. His Instagram's cool. He shreds those things all the time. If you're curious about that, there's also some pretty cool YouTube videos by Forestall with Cedric that just like show him riding these bikes. And I don't know, interesting stuff to just see sort of what, the, the quality of these bikes, what they can do. I mean, e-bikes are really coming a long way, and people are riding them like. Total maniacs, like they've been riding normal bikes for the longest time. So, yeah, it's it's interesting stuff. I mean, I definitely want to roll this into just the, you know, general commentary on the, the state of e-bikes in North America from our perspective. So, I mean, our perspective as, like, long-time mountain bikers that live in the high-end segment of the world, e-bikes have slow – it very much, to me, reminds me of 29-inch wheels, you know? And when 29-inch wheels were coming out, there was just this – you know school of thought of like oh those are lame man those are stupid we don't need those 26 for life and as everyone knows now that most people don't say that anymore and that's people
1: ride 29ers and
0: seven five is a thing but but i don't know it, and, it just takes that, time though
1: it did take a while to figure out the 29 geo
0: yeah yeah and it, and it
1: took a while to get that that mid-travel big travel downhill bike even to ride how you kind of expect it to mm-hmm. and i think that's the same thing with e-bikes yeah, yeah, um, the original ones were just not comparable to,
0: like, the quality of regular non-e-bikes at the time. But yeah. now they're becoming comparable when it comes to geo and ability and function and form and yeah. all of that sort of stuff, which is, yeah. And I think that is what's making them more accepted. But it's it's been funny, you know, we have a lot of in common friends and customers that seemingly would have never had an e-bike, you know, maybe five years ago. And now almost all of them have e-bikes.
1: yeah. Yeah. My uh, riding group is so penetrated with the e-bike market that uh, I can barely get them to ride normal bikes with me at this point. So <laughs> um, they also have done the the iteration jumps from the kind of crude first bikes and yep. then the Levos. Um, and then a lot of them hopped on that Mondraker when they became available because that was kind of one of the first ones that had good integration and Yeah, motor and looked good and rode well with a unique suspension design. Um, And now they all, almost all of them are on a Santa Cruz Bullet. Mm. So, if for those of you that don't know, I believe that's a 170, 170 mil bike, maybe 170, 160, 180, 170. It's a long travel bike, spec'd as a mullet, And all of them are now finally going completely faster downhill on that Bullet. Than they were on their downhill bikes or their enduro bikes, and they're saying it's the best downhill riding e bike they've ever had, so yeah, yeah, that
0: makes sense. I mean it's it's still funny to me the just watching people's mentality on e bikes in general change as e bikes get better, and as usually what does it is they try a good one, yeah, you know it's like they're like, oh, I don't really care for e bikes, I'm not interested and then all of a sudden they rode their buddies' levo and they're like. I kind of, actually, I'm, I think I'm going to buy an e-bike, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, that that to me is is a little bit comical, but I don't know. For me, it's, you know, it's an e-bike. It's if people are getting out there and having fun and enjoying themselves and being responsible, respectful, nice mountain bikers or cyclists or whatever, uh great, like yeah. ride bikes. But it's ironic because there is still a bunch of, there's just hate, man. There's just arguments. Even this... Yeah. Uh, article that Pink Bike posted about Forrestall. I mean, Pink Bike to me is always a funny place to go read comments. I think everyone would agree with that. And this article about Forrestall, uh, you know, there's so many various comments. There's people literally just viciously arguing with each other about why, just about e bikes, like why they're stupid or why they're good or why you might need one when you inevitably become older. Like there's just all this banter and shit talking. And it's just, I don't know, it's it's still kind of funny and weird. And, and then there's like a lot of trail systems that still have no e-bikes allowed. And so like that's a little bit of an yeah. issue, but it's also controversial. So
1: and, oh. I was just in Sedona, mm. which is pretty strongly no e-bikes um, enforced by, you know, the rangers and such as well as local mountain bikers aren't into it. But from what I understood, it's the reason because back in the 90s or so, When mountain biking was getting really popular there, um, all the hikers had a fit and wanted to ban mountain biking. Well, they came to an agreement that said, okay, no motorized vehicles and mountain bikers were like, sure, Mm -hmm. that doesn't exist. We're going to agree to that. And then all of a sudden now. It was like dirt bikes and motorcycles, like sharing the trails with
0: bicycles, with hikers, with equestrians. and
1: So now it was just a mountain bike that was fully self-powered. Now there's these e-bikes, and they fall into this motorized category, which is still also gray area. Yeah, because it's like does it Wattage have a throttle, but it's throttle just assisted, and, and yeah. yeah. So that's that's all got to get figured out on trail networks. But so Sedona still categorizes no e-bikes, and now it's signage is everywhere at every marked trailhead. Mm-hmm. No e-bikes. So depending on where you're at, too, it could be controversial whether you can ride an e-bike on your local trail network yeah and such
0: yeah i mean it i don't know all, all that stuff's funny because i've i've been out i mean even just recently i was riding and climbing up uh, a pretty challenging uphill and an e-bike just like blitzed past me uphill um someone who was visibly not as in good of shape as i am
2: <laughs> yeah. not,
0: not to brag but i don't know so uh, you know and for a second i was like A little angry, but then I was like, "Whatever." Like it doesn't, and I could also, and it's also kind of like it spooks you, right? Like if you're climbing, you don't expect someone on a bike to blitz past you from behind, like period. Yeah. Um, and and that actually is the same way because I do a lot of hiking too and trail running, and like if I'm hiking or trail running and a, and a mountain biker just like sneaks up behind me real fast on a downhill or whatever, like it can spook you. And that like instantly kind of creates this like, ah, like you kind of pissed off real quick, you know? Yeah. And, and people get mad about that. And I don't know. So I, I, I feel, I feel every, I like try to empathize with all the various sides on the whole topic, but I don't know. It's just interesting. I mean, it seems like in Europe from what we hear, we obviously haven't spent very much time in Europe recently because no one's been doing much international travel these days for obvious reasons, but uh, it seems like it's way more evolved in Europe. They're more common. They're more accepted. From everything we hear, they're just, you know, I don't know. It's just it's just further along the path. More people are yeah. using them for not just mountain biking, but especially just commuting and general bikes and stuff, yeah, which it's, is more popular in general in Europe than it is in the U.S.
1: Exactly. So Europe, Europe's got more figured out. And back to the trail thing, I, I think – uh, also a concern which i don't think it's a huge concern um but maybe something to think about too is uh it could cause more trail collisions
0: yeah that's um, true
1: someone going uphill faster than you would expect them to you going downhill on the same trail kind of <laughs> kind of hard to control so Spe-
0: speaking of that i just remembered one of the last times you and i rode which was a little while ago remember that that oh, older yeah, guy yeah. on the specialized the e-bike. on the e-bikes just was like blitzing uphill with his head down yeah. like right around i mean we almost we almost decked each other because yeah. he was just and he wasn't i mean he was going way faster than he would ever normally be able to go up the hill but he was also just blatantly not looking forward He just looking down um but it, yeah it was it was funny and yeah we didn't need each other but yeah i mean it's, it was almost a collision and that was very much e-bike related
1: yeah so there, there's that to it as well but it'll it'll all get figured out europe has it figured out so Americans will come around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah it's at some point. So, I don't know, but if if uh, any of you want to, you know, f- feel the spice on the e-bike debate uh or have an opinion either way, it's it's also just entertaining to go. I don't understand why people get so heated about things that are not that meaningful in the grand scheme of life, but that's just my personal philosophy, but going to somewhere like Pinkbike and reading people banter back and forth about e-bike hate is is can be comical but also yeah. just like
1: hard to understand, to yeah. wrap your head around. To me, an e bikes a great tool. It's not going to replace my normal bike, but it's cool to explore. It's cool to get more laps in at certain places. Yeah, could get. it also another cool thing is like I could go out on a regular bike, and my dad could go out on an e-bike. Yeah, and we can go. I mean, we together. have staff
0: that ride with their, yeah. with their fathers so in that same situation that are my, really happy about that.
1: Exactly. So people probably it gets more people on bikes, and at the end of the day, that's all better for the mountain bike community. Yeah. No matter who it is, but on a bike's better.
0: Yeah. But is it if they're fighting with each other?
1: It'll pass over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so ho- hopefully that was uh, brought some insight on, on what's going on with, with e-bikes to everyone listening. And, yeah, why don't we just jump right into talking about – uh, quick 101, if if you're more into podcasts than you are YouTube videos, we produce a ton of YouTube videos, and we'll give you the quick synopsis 101 on some of our recent ones that we did uh, since the last podcast that we recorded, uh, one of which was rear shock upgrades. So it was basically an entire guide of how to upgrade your rear shock, where we talked about all the various things you need to know, like eye-to-eye, and stroke, and mounting hardware, and weird fitment issues, which is... A very much a real thing. We even dove a little bit into some complexities around um, suspension curves, right? Being linear versus progressive and a coil versus air. Now, sometimes it doesn't work. You run into many problems with that these days. I think it's slightly getting less complicated, but it also depends on your bike.
1: Yeah, it definitely is still there. It's, it's not quite as uh, apparent. Also, with coils getting better and better tunes, mm-hmm. as well as bikes kind of like, being designed with a coil in mind almost. Yeah, that's um, true.
0: A lot of brands have started making their longer travel bikes and noted like, hey, this is, you know, designed to work well with a coil or yeah. air shock, which I don't think they yeah. had that on their mind a few years ago. But once coil shocks started gaining more traction, they started thinking about uh, that. Oh,
1: is a good pun. Coil like shocks that? with more traction. <laughs> um, Springing into traction. Yeah. So, you know, we, co- we covered everything on kind of what to look for, how to measure your bike and what you might want to upgrade as well as also a little bit of insight on like overstroking and when you should or shouldn't do it. Yeah. Um and then yeah, coil versus air whether that's a, a linear suspension design or a non-linear.
0: Yep. Yeah, I mean I think we went into that video um with the goal of trying to cover as much as possible without making uh you know five part documentary on the whole topic because the the t- the end end all be all takeaway when it comes to upgrading a rear shock is that it's unfortunately kind of complex it's just not simple there's a lot of things to consider there's a lot of like weird compatibility and sizing things and then there's yeah like various other things of why you'd want to upgrade what it's going to do does it matter um, there's a lot but we tried to cover all of it in that video and and i think the moral of the story is if you if you are desiring or craving a rear shock rear shock upgrade it can be a awesome change to your bike. Like it can really breathe life into your bike in a very different way than you'd imagine. Um, but tread lightly, do your research, watch our video, watch other videos, talk to people. Um, just, just educate yourself before you spend, you know, what 300 to $1,300 on a rear shock. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's an expensive purchase. So it's, it's one to really dig into. Uh, the other one we did was a uh, just a little product announcement about Rockshox's new fork, the
1: Domain, which you spent some plenty of time riding that thing, right? So what is it? Yeah, the Domain is uh, the more entry-level version of the Rockshox Zeb, which came out last year. So it kind of is on a similar chassis, a um, little bit less refined, but still 38-mil uppers, and it's just meant for that, you know, 160, 170, 180-mil fork. Um, I think the domain yeah. will be spec'd on a lot of OE bikes more than it is an aftermarket fork, mm. but it is a cool option. It's, it's a, a long uh, travel, heavy duty enduro
0: fork. I've been kind of calling it a super enduro fork. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, because <laughs> like one sixty to one eighty single crown fork with thirty eight mil stanchions. I don't know something about that. Me to me is like that's super or ultra or extra. Like yeah, it's not, it is. It's, yeah, it's a lot.
1: It's it's meant for uh. Some heavy duty riding, um, yeah. It, it has a motion controlled damper, uh, air spring. It's uh, I forgot what it retailed for, four ninety nine or 550 500 bucks, something around there, something, something around there, yeah. five fifty or four ninety nine. So, for the price, it is a pretty darn good fork. Yeah, you get a lot of performance packed into that. It is also uh, upgradable damper wise, so you could stick the same damper in a domain down the road. Uh, that mm. comes in a charger cool. or that comes in a zeb. yeah, so it'd be the charger two point one damper that comes in a zeb. so uh could get a nice fork and then down the road upgrade it to where it's almost a Zeb.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So, I mean, some of the trade-offs are obviously going to be weight, right? I mean, anything in the mountain bike world, when you go sort of down in price point, you go up in weight and down in features. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those features may or may not be useful to you. Sometimes they are. Um, But yeah, when you compare Domain to Zeb, obviously Domain is heavier and it lacks a little bit of features there. But it's also about half the price and if you're looking for that long travel 38 mil stanchion, beefy super enduro fork that has amazing performance and no flex um yeah the domain is kind of dialed for yeah. that speaking uh, of forks fox 2022 2022 yeah i don't i'm so confused on all the different brands and how they release product like a year in advance when it's it's just it's just confusing yeah <laughs> i think fox announces stuff in spring of 21 that's 2022 model year yeah um, Yeah, so that's what they did. So that's where we're
1: at. mm -hmm. Uh, Besides the model year, they dropped uh, a new fork. So the new Fox 34 is new in both the... Is it new or just like heavily revised? Because it's Mm -hmm. still a 34, same model name. Yes, but it's pretty like... It's quite a bit different. It's quite a bit different. It's pretty ground up, redesigned, I'd say. Mm -hmm. I'd say this is a new Fox 34, uh, only because they changed the lowers, uh, changed... The upper is on a step cast. It's much more narrower stance. They got the weight down a lot on the 34 step cast where it's actually lighter than a RockShox uh, SID, which was previously the lightest. Coming in hot. Yeah, 120 dedicated. Shots fired. Uh, Downcountry XC+, Plus, whatever you'd want to call it, category fork. Mm. More than XC, not quite middle trail bike fork. As well as they redid the normal 34, which yeah. is... Um, Again, lighter, stiffer as they claim.
0: Yeah, better damper. And this was all kind of predictable, right? Because if you look at the 40, the 38, the 36, they all had that new front arch, that like rounded arch, and that like new lower leg design in general, and a few in like the crowns. Like it was all kind of predictable that like, ah, okay, all these are doing that. Like obviously the 34 is coming next and now it is here. So if that's the fork you've been after, um, the latest and greatest one just came out and it probably won't change for at least a few years now. Yep. Um, yeah, those look sweet. I mean, I, I'm definitely curious. I've been riding the RockShox stuff on my Revel Ranger, um, the, basically the SID setup with the SID fork and shock, and I love it. I mean, it's a 115-mil travel bike in the back, 120 in the front. I haven't ridden that, like, travel range of bike with Fox suspension in a while because I kind of felt like RockShox was just – little ahead of the game there but no i think fox is right there and maybe better maybe not i don't know yeah i've been on <laughs> at least Sid's, on par
1: sid stuff for a little over a year now since before it came out and then previous though i was on a sp100 with fox front and rear mm-hmm. that it worked really well um you know I, I didn't have any complaints about it at that point so yeah. if they made it lighter and it works just as well or better you know Yeah, for
0: context, Yeti SP100, 120 in the front. Yeah, it was 120 in the front, 100
1: in the rear, yeah. Yeah. So Fox also, with the new forks of the 2022 line, has two new rear shocks. The Float X, which is kind of bringing back a shock that disappeared a couple years ago.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: And that's replacing uh, the DPX2, which is their trail bike shock. Kind of middle of the line shock.
0: So the DPX two is no longer DPX right two
1: is no longer for MY twenty two. Gotcha. And then,
0: dude, that the, new Flodex looks rad. Like just yeah. the, the placement of the rebound and compression knobs, and like it just looks really good. Yeah, it does Fox look really good at making stuff look fancy and high tech and quality.
1: Yeah, it looks really sharp. And also the uh, video with our buddy Elliot Jackson yeah. ripping the new thirty four and Flodex shock. Was really awesome, so you should go watch that because mm-hmm. Elliot is uh, pretty stylish yeah. and it's fun to an watch incredible on the bike.
0: Rider to watch, yeah.
1: And then also cool. uh, another kind of shock that they brought back in the lineup was the DHX. So uh, full blown uh, coil, full blown coil. I couldn't say that, <laughs> and uh, it's pretty much a less adjustable version of the DHX two, which is their top of the line coil.
0: Yeah. So a little bit more affordable coil shock, yeah. That yeah, still has got all the fancy things from Fox on it.
1: Yep, which is also kind of geared at that heavy trail and duro market. Not quite the mm-hmm. DH shock. It's uh kind of more for that you know someone who wants a coil but doesn't necessarily want all this bulk and adjustment of the DHX two.
0: Yep, that makes sense. So yeah, some new some new products you know slowly but surely coming in this year, which is cool. Um, I guess the only other YouTube video that, that's uh, been pretty cool that we made, we spent a lot of work on, uh, was Bird Spokes, B-E-R-D. Uh, we've talked about them on the podcast before because we've been like testing them and playing with them, and it's just a really interesting, unusual product. It's a spoke that floats on water. It's it's just not a steel spoke. It's not an aluminum spoke. It's Do you remember the name of it? I totally uh, forgot.
1: I'm going to butcher it. It's a polyurethane spoke pretty much uh, made out of a – High-tech they got, material. They got an acronym. They got an acronym. Yeah, I couldn't
0: even say that. It's a uh, – bird spokes are made from an advanced polymer called ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene, or for short, U-H-M-W-P-E. <laughs> like, that's an easier. Yeah, it rolls to right off the tongue. <laughs> yeah. So we – in the video, we kind of went in depth on everything about those spokes. I mean, they're unbelievably lighter than your traditional spoke. Unbelievably. Like, what, three times, like? 300% lighter per uh, wheel or something like shaves d- shave roughly like a quarter pound per wheel
1: yes right? it like depends what on what spoke it's specced with but anywhere sure. from 100 to 200 grams per wheel Yeah, so wow. yeah that's
0: a lot quarter lighter pound almost
1: spoke. up to half a pound off a traditional spoke mm-hmm. Um and yeah I think they're really awesome for the same kind of market we were just talking about with the step cast and you know smaller yeah, travel that, bikes that the, light
0: Let light trail bike or just trail bike and then definitely for xc bikes yeah. i mean absolutely if you if you're looking for the lightest best performing wheel setup uh absolutely look into bird there is a couple caveats of course you know you gotta you gotta pay for this that's they're not they're not cheaper than steel spokes that's for sure um, we we talk about that and then the video and then some of the technology behind the things um, and then we tested them we all three of us myself liam and jared all rode those things and we're quite impressed uh, bird sells the spokes individually they sell complete wheels with their own rims um, yeah, they're, they're wild. It's just a weird thing to look at. I mean, one of the caveats too is the lacing process. Have you built, have you built them yet? Those I'm wheels? currently
1: in the process of building some for uh, a buddy of mine. Yeah. And
0: it and takes... that's on a
1: J-Bend hub that you're building those with? Yeah. And
0: so you so... have to use like this little tool to like kind of gouge out the, the flange of the actual hub shell. Yeah.
1: So essentially you have to basically... Open up the the curve of where the spokes gonna come out of mm-hmm. of the hub shell. so you use a, uh, basically a I mean a cutting bit on all the spokes both both sides so it's 32 hole 64 times per hub on a cutting bit then you use a grinding bit, then you use a polishing bit. So then once you're done with the hub, then you start lacing them and that also involves some other, Uh, basically building tools that you have to pull the spokes through. It's quite a little process to do it. Then you have to put the little bar in that holds the spoke. Bird has their own little YouTube video showing you that. Not that many
0: people would ever really want to do that, but it's also kind of just cool to watch it be assembled.
1: Yeah. I kind of just wanted to build them as well just to see what I'm up to. And if by chance we want to do it out worldwide. Yeah. I think once you get it down, it's definitely still going to be up about two times, two twice as long as a normal yeah. wheel building process. I can yep. I'm pretty fast at this point. I can build lace, true, intentional wheel about 40, 45 minutes. I think this is well going to take me an hour and a half yeah. once I get it down.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. That's so a significant it's, it's time It's intensive,
1: difference. but you can save one hundred to two hundred grams per wheel, and if that's important to you, then what's an extra? two three hours of your time to save a lot of weight yeah and rotating weight
0: yeah exactly i mean that was the other thing that i noticed right away was i mean it's it's rotational weight so that means when you're actually pedaling and spinning up um that's the most important weight to sort of shave off your bike that gives you this notable acceleration and feeling difference and that's not just the it's weights just not the only claim bird makes the other part is is all about you know damping and and just that like More, it's just a different feel, right? It's like instead of the vibration and everything running through a steel spoke, it just doesn't do that. Uh, It's kind of like the difference between carbon and aluminum bars, a little bit, or carbon and aluminum frames. Like there's just different vibration feeling to the whole thing. That to me was a little harder to like wrap my head around. On it was one of those things that I'm like, "Ah, I think I, I definitely think I feel it, but I don't. It's just hard to like, like things like that are a little bit more. I think I felt it, but was that just my head thinking that? I mean, I think I felt it. I think I think those wheels performed and felt amazing. But it, it's that that one's a little more like to me. It was also just like, well, I can immediately tell how much lighter they are. Like you pedal the yeah. two pedal strokes, you're like, whoa. Um, yeah, the, so that's noticeable. The damping part I think is noticeable, but yeah, not, it's a also harder,
1: hard so it with we are testing with two four tires on a bike with suspension. Mm-hmm. On something that's not necessarily consistently rough terrain. Yeah, if like we put a these rigid
0: XC bike or, or a gravel, gravel bike, bike. Yeah, that would be really cool to test yeah. these back to back because that's when you can really, you, you yeah. ride a gravel bike on some rough terrain and it rattles your brain. That's
1: where any, any yeah. advantage you can yeah. get when it comes to damping vibration Especially helps. Especially a consistent washboarded out fire road. Yep. Oh, yeah. With a gravel bike or even a hardtail. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's hard to pedal over that stuff in general. So you get some vibration dampening, you get some comfort. I think that's where you could feel it. For me, the weight is just insane on the bird spokes yep. and I'm a total fan. Yeah, um, yeah,
0: me too. I mean, in this is funny cuz we'd how did the how did this all transpire? We saw a bird
1: like just on they, Instagram they or something and then, on our Instagram post because we were doing some weight weenie stuff to your bike. Yeah, that's right. And, and then we're like,
0: like, "Whoa, look at the I think you sent it to me on Instagram. You're like, "Oh, look at these things." And I was like, "Whoa, we should we should reach out to them and see if we can test them. And then like they sent us a set of wheels. We started testing them. And I was like, dude, we should sell these. These are good. <laughs> these yeah. are really good. And then it was like, we should make a video about these. These are interesting. And and yeah, now that's how that all transpired, which which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the other thing too, like, yes, they are more expensive, but um, you can buy complete wheel sets that come with a good carbon rim. And that's that's basically like, Comparably priced to any other carbon wheels, yeah. and it just happens to have these like astronomically lighter spokes on there. So, yeah, yeah the definitely important stuff. Carbon
1: wheels are a good value, as well as you don't have to uh, lace them yourself. Yeah, so yeah, you eliminate exactly. the yeah, lacing just process. Buy the complete wheels if they're you're competitively really in priced, and they yep. come with Industry Nine Hydra hubs. So, if you are looking into them, they make uh, for mountain bikes. They make XC twenty two and XC twenty five. And a TR twenty seven. So those are mm-hmm. all. Those numbers are related to the internal rim width. So we tested tested the TR twenty seven, which is a really great trail uh, wheel and diameter. Yeah, it's the same thing I'm running on my bike now. Just yeah. the Industry Nine Trail
0: two seventies, right? So, yeah, yeah. It's the same internal width. Yep. Rim, yeah, yeah. Which makes so, sense for like two four and below tires.
1: Yeah. So that, and uh, I, I'd be pretty curious to throw on some XC 25s just to really get that weight down and. Yeah. Rolled roll on two, three tire on my, my XC mm-hmm. bike and just see how fast those things are. So if yeah. you're listening, bird.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Can we have some more wheels, please? <laughs> uh.
1: And now a word from our sponsors. Do you poop a lot? Do you ride bikes a lot? Do you have to poop while riding bikes a lot? If you answered yes to two of these questions, then JRAS reusable toilet paper
0: is for you. Our state-of-the-art steel wool-infused toilet paper will leave you feeling clean
1: and refreshed. Stock up now at jrathreusabletoiletpaper.org.
2: And now, back to the show.
0: Listener questions. We've got five of them, and we're going to blitz through them. Uh, number one. Actually, so we posted on our Worldwide Cycler Instagram account a little story asking you guys for questions. You can also send them in to podcast at worldwidecycler.com or whatever. But anyways, a lot of people asked some variation of is 27.5 dying? What do you think, Willie?
1: Uh, Was it alive? Oh, That was a joke. Wise ass. (laughs) Um, I don't think it's dying. I think it's found its spot in the market as well as 29er has. Yeah. Um, I think – it's definitely found a spot in that kind of jumping, jibbing, having fun section of bikes. And I think yeah, it
0: just has a different feel. It's a different type of yeah,
1: bike. And I think 29er has been proven to kind of be at least up front, mullet, setup, whatever, but is to be a faster yeah. bike with more traction. So but I
0: guess the question, though, is like 27.5 will die if people just continuously don't purchase it. That like oh, the definitely. bikes that are twenty seven yeah. five or the tires that are like if everyone just somehow goes to yep. twenty nine like then brands will just stop making it. I mean same thing with twenty six like Maxxis doesn't make a lot of their popular good mountain bike tires yeah. in twenty six inch anymore because like there's not twenty six inch yeah. mountain
1: bikes. And part of that was from brands just not making twenty six bikes anymore. Yeah, so they yeah start like producing all like tires. connects to each and, other yeah, one it's, way or it's another. A full like circle a
0: bike brand stops making it because people aren't buying it. Then another one does it. Then the tire but, brands yeah. start making the tires. The rims stop being produced.
1: So. But, if this is any indication, I think there are both fox thirty eights and rockshock zeb Forks in stock on our website that are for twenty seven five mm-hmm. and twenty ers are three to ten months out lead time, yeah, so maybe that's an indication of where twenty seven five's at as well
0: yeah i don't it is tough to i mean right now, I don't think it's dying anytime soon, but no. i I could see it being like the headphone jack on cell phones. Like, slowly but surely, somebody's just like, you know what, we don't need the headphone jack. And then Apple's like, boom, no headphone jack. And then it's like, oh, dude, Apple, like, what if, what if, let's theorize, what if next year, Trek and Specialized, two of the biggest brands, just don't make any seven five bikes at all? Like, it's just like, nope,
1: what would happen? Yeah, A lot of other brands would know, follow suit. I know Trek has They would has probably one, just but...
0: be like, dude, if they didn't do it, we're not doing it.
1: I almost want to look and see if Specialized even has any twenty seven five oh, bikes. Yeah, for right the now. longest time, they didn't. Yeah, but but then they did. But now the newest models, I think, might all be two nine. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, yeah,
1: it it'd be interesting. It will. Okay. Next question: Internal cable
0: noise. Is it normal? Um.
1: And is it normal?
0: Well, here's here's my thought on that. There's some frames don't have tubes. Yeah, so if right? it's not and some, tube and tube. Yeah, so uh, some frames have tubes. Little, they're like gas lines basically that yeah. connect the, the two holes into the frame and then boom, it gets rid of the internal cable noise entirely. Sometimes. Uh, some You're right. There is on the odd case that even those tubes still can make noise. Correct. Right. Um, but if your frame doesn't have those tubes, oh, you're getting a lot of noise no matter yeah. what, end of story. There's ways you can go around it, though. Um, I personally cannot stand any of that. And before a lot of the bikes I rode had those tubes in there, I was getting all that noise. And Liam well knows, because he's the one who works on my bikes most of the time, we were, like, stuffing foam. Like, you'd pull the bottom bracket out and, like, jam foam up into the down tube and then do the same thing through the... Through the top of the down tube, at through the head tube, and yeah, I mean that noise is normal, but you can stop it with foam, but yeah. it's a hassle, and, and yeah. It's, there's it's also a nice...
1: uh, some foam tubes. I think you can probably get them at like Home Depot in the electrical mm-hmm. section that you could actually basically route your cables through and stuff that into your tubes as well. If you if you have basically what's a, an open internal cable routing frame. Yep. There are some tube and tube bikes that make some noise. Uh, you could try wrapping a little bit, pull the cable out, wrap a little bit of electrical tape around that, stuff it back in. So it kind of holds its spot in that tube mm-hmm. as well as uh, sometimes a little rubber grommet and the top will just help it from rattling around. Yeah. Help it from like sliding up and down and making that noise. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yep. So yeah, it is, it is kind of normal, but yeah. it's it's less common now that more bikes are running those little tubes inside of yeah. the actual frame tubes, but it is fixable with those little tactics. Uh, Next question. Should
1: heavy riders ride longer travel bikes? Broad answer, no. I don't think they should ride longer travel bikes. Um, I think if you're a heavier rider, you might not want to ride a lightweight XC bike because it's just going to not be designed for you. I think there's some bikes that are shorter travel yet designed for abuse and riding really hard, which will also translate to a heavier rider having a good ride on a shorter travel bike. Something like the evil following.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to... <laughs> it's a touchy question. I mean, part of part of me is like, I don't really care how big you are. Buy a bike that makes the most sense for what you ride the most often. But you're right. There's like different bikes for different things. And yeah, I mean, the, if you're trying to be all weight weaning, ride an XC bike and you're a, you know, 220 pound plus rider, you'll probably notice more flex yeah, and just lack I mean. of durability. Yeah. 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 Which then might lead you to be like, well, I'd have more fun and a better ride and better durability on a more stout bike. That's kind of just like even made for gnarlier riding. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's not like, it's not like oh, if you're heavy, ride a longer travel bike. Um, no. But, yeah, it yeah. suits your preferences. I mean, yeah. if, if you're a larger rider and you're concerned about, I don't know, just like general durability or flex or whatever, then, yeah, get a more, a more stout yeah. bike of a kind. Um, that doesn't mean that, like, yeah,
1: I don't know. You can't <laughs> ride a short travel bike. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, it <laughs> it you just need the right tool for the job.
0: Yeah, exactly. So. And for your preference.
1: And for your preference, yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: Okay. When will companies restock? So if yeah, I mean everyone kind of knows this this whole shenanigans that's going on now. You know, last year in 2020 when the pandemic hit, basically all of the factories that make anything bike related shut down for about three months. And then they all came back to some crazy demand because the whole world decided they wanted to ride bikes of all kinds and buy bikes of all kinds and all the parts of all kinds and um, every factory it's, it's hard goods. So every brand is well aware. There is really, really high consumer demand for everything they make in the bicycle industry at large. And of course, when there's heightened demand, they want to, make product and have product to sell so they can, you know, put food on the table. Not as easy as it might seem because there's only so many factories that make everything. And again, it's hard goods. You can't just make it out of thin air. You need machines and raw materials and things need to be shipped around. And there's a lot of shenanigans going on. I think, I think maybe a question would be like, when will stock levels of various things normalize and just kind of be like they were in 2019 and before? Uh, That's plausible in the summertime of 2022 but probably maybe fall of 2022 and on the pessimistic side maybe 2023 to be honest from like what i understand in the industry right now
1: yeah it's 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 not necessarily looking great currently um it's just they just can't keep up the factories with how much demand there is so
0: there's just so many demands on such sort of I don't know, you could say a few, such a limited number of actual physical factories making these products. And then there's all these other logistical challenges involved, um, like the raw materials and the supply chain. And yeah, yeah, it it is a bummer. I mean, even for us at Worldwide as as a retailer, we have so much less available inventory this year at the same time as we did last year. And you can imagine that directly translates to our sales. And it's it's just tough to like secure product to sell and have product to sell. And like nobody wants to be out of stock. Yeah. So everyone, I, including retailers and brands, are just like scrambling to get more product. Yeah,
1: I could tell you every brand I talk to is actively working on getting more products as soon as they can. Yeah. Stemming from CEOs who don't do this or owners who don't normally go in the supply chain era or arena are currently trying to tackle this problem. So it's at the top of their list. Yeah,
0: absolutely. It sure is. It'll be solved one day one day, not very soon though, but one day, uh, best mountain bike seat. We actually made an entire YouTube video on mountain bike saddles and I'm pretty proud of it. I think that was a pretty thorough video. We covered a lot of the common saddles from like the most popular brands yeah. like Ergon and WTB. And, uh, we copied, we covered some like, uh, other like less common brands for saddles. And then we also, we also broke it down into like how much does it matter, depending on how much you ride right mm-hmm. and i mean if you're a if you only ride you know one hour stints or less a couple times a week, you're probably not super concerned with the saddle unless you have a lot of sensitive areas. If you ride like ten plus hours a week, it's a big deal like you yeah. to ride a lot of road and x c and like saddles mattered a lot to you and
1: yeah, definitely um yeah back back when I was you know riding a lot uh you know an average week was twelve thirteen fourteen hours. Saddle, I, I went through a couple saddles before I found what I liked, um, and everyone's different. I personally liked no relief or no cutout on my saddle. It actually gave me more pressure points than it didn't, and I that's me personally. Mm-hmm. Other people cannot ride a saddle without a relief or a cutout.
0: Yeah, that's 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 the funny thing about so, like best mountain bike seat. It's like, well, it's, there's not a best mountain bike anything, especially yeah. seats. That's it's, like the last thing that'd be it's a best. So of.
1: personal and preference, yeah. and even Unless if everyone
0: had the same shaped yeah. butt, ox, and areas <laughs> things yeah. down there, yeah, there's no so, best seat.
1: I think it depends on how much you ride, the style of riding you do. Uh, XC, you're in the saddle way more. You're seated longer. Um, mount uh enduro riding you know you're not usually in the saddle that much and if you are it's just to get to the top to ride downhill yep so i think that matters i think how often you ride matters mm-hmm. um and also whether you're a chamois list or chamois rider yeah also matters as well so Personal preference, check out our YouTube video.
0: Yeah, we actually, so so we, we started that video with, like, we try to do all these videos, try and keep it high level and easy to digest and understand and demystify the topic as simply and concisely as we can. And then as we get further into the video, we get more intricate, go down the rabbit hole even more. And we actually brought in into that video, Jonathan Lee, who's the former, uh, one of the co-host of this mtv podcast he used to run this thing he's an amazing resource when it comes to uh, bike knowledge and and we use him all the time because of everyone you know we know that are friends of ours like the dude just puts in the most amount of miles and he rides a lot of road too which is kind of uncommon like usually people are just mountain bikers or road riders and jonathan does a lot of both so we had him give a whole spiel and explanation on like if you actually ride like 10 plus 20 plus hours a week like how you should analyze like what saddle you need what's really important how you can test them and so yeah if you really are riding a lot or you have you know sensitivity and you're having trouble finding one that's comfortable he really breaks it down in that sense Um, because it's not as common for mountain bikers road it's like super common you're sitting in that thing for hours yeah it so like is no matter what you're doing, it's hard on road. But yeah, mountain biking is less common for people to really be nitpicky on seats. Yeah,
1: I think when I worked at a road shop, uh, our saddle demo program was probably one of the most common things I did.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, it was you just, just coming swap, in and yeah. swapping out saddles, swapping yeah. out
1: saddles, swapping out saddles, trying to find the right one. Um, and so we've yeah. never had a saddle demo program in ten years of worldwide Cyclery as a mountain bike shop. <laughs> yeah, it, it just yeah, it just depends on your needs. So yeah.
0: Well, there you go. There's your answer. And that concludes episode 82 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. I learned how to say that from listening to the Wall Street Journal podcast each morning. And uh, I don't know. Any last words, Liam? Uh, keep riding bikes. Keep having fun. Keep having fun. We love you. Bye. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> Play a sound effect, DJ Pineapple.
1: Bye, 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 bye.